0: The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up, to the Lord. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel on this temperate Sunday morning amidst heat waves here in Boston. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel, and I bear greetings on behalf of our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill as he is away in these summer months, but looks forward to being again with us next Sunday. We continue our National Summer Preacher Series this Sunday, once again, with the Reverend Dr. Stephen Chapin Garner in the pulpit. Chapin is adjunct instructor in homiletics and pastoral ministry next door at the Boston University School of Theology, and senior minister at the Congregational Church of New Canaan in Connecticut. Welcome once again whether you are here in our presence at 735 Commonwealth Avenue listening live over the radio at WBUR 90.9 FM or listening over internet signals at WBUR. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that, with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal, that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. As we gather this morning in our beloved community and consider the work of a wild and crazy God in a wild and crazy world, we recognize our own brokenness and the brokenness of our world, and we confess before God as the choir sings the Kyrie. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. It's uh, good to be with you again uh, this week. Uh, If you were here last week, you may remember that we uh, uh, looked at a rarely read story in the uh, Book of Exodus, and I'd like to try to do the same thing this week, too, with the rather obscure passage that we often overlook in the book of Second Kings. So we're going to look at Second Kings uh, chapter 2, verse 19. And if you're familiar with the book, you know this is the moment when Elijah, the prophet, has been taken up into heaven and his student... Elisha literally takes up the mantle, right off the ground, the mantle of uh, prophetic leadership from elijah And this is what follows. What we get is the uh, first miracle that Elisha performs. So we're looking in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. And it says, Now the people of the city, and the city they're referring to is Jericho. So now the people of Jericho said to Elisha, The location of this city is good, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. Elisha said, Bring me a new bowl and put some salt in it. So they brought it to him, and then he went to the spring of water and threw salt into it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have made this water wholesome. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha spoke. Now, Elisha went up from there, from Jericho to Bethel, and and while he was going up on the way, a group of boys came out from the city and jeered at him, saying, Go away, bald head. Go away, bald head. Now, when Elisha turned around and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord Then two she-bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel and then returned to Samaria. The word of God for the people of God. God. Amen.
2: Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 46 with the Antiphon. our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city which shall not be moved. God will help it at the dawn of the day. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. God's voice resounds, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth, who makes wars cease to the end of the earth, breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge.
3: Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Glory Glory to you, you, O Lord. Lord. When Jesus became aware of this, he departed. Many crowds followed him, and he cured all of them, and he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah, Here is my servant, whom I have chosen my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
1: So, I'm going to bet uh, that most of you here have not spent a whole lot of time reflecting on the theological meaning of the she-bear story. Um, in fact, you, you may not be particular, particularly familiar with the prophet Elisha. It sounds a whole lot like the uh, famous prophet Elijah, uh, but uh, Elijah was Elisha's mentor. Uh, but Elisha was also a powerful prophet and miracle worker in his own right. Uh, and as I said earlier, after Elijah had been taken up into heaven, the, the next stories we read indicate that Elisha, or Elisha on God's behalf, is a uh, uh, has the power to both bless and the power to curse. He's got the ability to hurt and he's got the ability to heal. And one of his first miracles that we read about was uh, the purification of the water in Jericho, and, and as you may know, uh, Jericho is the second oldest continuously inhabited city in the world, and and one of the reasons for that was these wonderful underground springs. Uh, but uh, geological records actually do indicate that from time to time the water went bad. And uh, we don't exactly know why, but uh, it it had an effect that rendered men and women sterile. Some children died uh, because of the water, and, and it negatively impacted agricultural production. So we know that something happened to improve the water supply, and the Bible says that that something was actually someone. Elisha performed a miracle that turned this deadly water source... Into a life-giving resource. So, so as you might imagine, Elisha is a pretty big deal. He must have become something like a, a local hero in pretty short order. Uh, and you'd think, you'd think that the people of Jericho might have—I don't know—thrown Elisha a parade, maybe a party. Uh, maybe they did that, but. We're told that as Elisha left Jericho and made his way to Bethel, he was followed by a pack of more than 42 boys who ridiculed him mercilessly and made fun of him. Now, I don't care who you are or how tough you think you are. If you leave worship today... And if you're followed home by 42 or more boys who uh, tease you and call you names and pick on you, you're going to feel a bit threatened. And I think that's what Elisha was feeling. And Elisha was human, so he got upset. And in the heat of the moment, he curses the boys in the name of the Lord. And wouldn't you know it? In that very moment as the story goes it says in that moment two female bears appeared from the woods and mauled the boys sending them fleeing home while saving Elisha from further abuse. Now you and I can respond to this story in horror yet another example of why we don't always like turning to the Old Testament but you know Just like uh, that kid, the situation when a kid has been bullied at school and then goes back to school with lethal intent to injure his classmates, we now take bullying seriously because we have seen too many awful consequences when people are ganged up on by others. Uh, uh, Suicides, school shootings... Workplace violence can be the awful byproduct of unaddressed harassment of people. It's just the case. So, so if, if you want just an overly simplistic message to take away from this rather disturbing story, here it is. Don't bully. Don't make fun of other people. Don't ridicule people because your actions might come back to bite you. Okay? Okay. There it is. If you want to shut me off for the rest of the time, there's the message if you want to get simplistic about it. But if you can hang with the story just a little bit longer, and if you can look a little bit deeper, I think, there, I think there's something more for us to glean here. If you take the story of the she-bears at face value, just what it says on the page, you've got to realize that Elisha doesn't actually sick the she-bears on the boys. Elijah doesn't see two she-bears and say, look, go over there maul the boys. It's not what happened. Nor does the text say that God sent the bears to, to maul the boys. The bears appear, according to the story, appear to show up of their own accord, which I actually think is kind of an interesting detail. Two members of the animal kingdom, according to the story, rose up to right a wrong. It is as if God's created order and creatures of all kinds participate injustice being done in the world. A gang of kids were picking on an old bald guy who had just saved an entire city and creation itself rose up to address the injustice and the indignity of it. Uh, If you read through the Bible, even if this story bothers you a little bit as I imagine it does as it does me, if you read through the Bible you will be struck by a persistent promise. God's creation is structured in such a way that good will overcome evil. Righteousness will be victorious over wickedness and love will ultimately triumph over hate. And you can look in the very first psalm in the Bible. It says it right there. It says that God watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Incidentally, it doesn't say the wicked are going to perish. It says the way of the wicked, the behavior of the wicked will perish, which means according to the Bible, it's already been decided. It's a done deal. God is going to make sure that right prevails over wrong. That that will be one day the way of the world. And and I want to say, if, if we can push past some of the alarming headlines of our day, then I think we see evidence of this happening. And According to 2nd Kings there are times when even the animals get it. So, our beloved Christian community exists, dwells, lives in a world that seems obsessed with bad news. You know that and I know that. And at first glance, at first glance, the world we live in can seem wild and crazy and unpredictable and violent. I can't tell you how many times someone has come up to me in, in my church and said, you know, you know, it's never been worse than it is right now. Couldn't get worse, I don't think. Uh, uh, folks have said, no time, no time in human history has it ever been as bad as the age we are in right now. And whenever I hear that, I think, really? Never been as bad as it is right now? I mean, this is a wild and crazy world where anything can happen and too many unfortunate things do. But is it, this the worst it's ever been? I mean, we live, we live in a world, I think, that is just fixated on bad news. You know, that, that sometimes gets blown out of proportion. But, but as Christians, you know this as Christians, we're, we're supposed to be good news people. We are supposed to be hopeful people. You know, we're resurrection people, at least we try to be, who, who stare death itself in the face without fear because we believe, or at least try to believe in resurrection, I mean, in an age, in an age when people seem to be convinced that things are so bad, someone, some community has to stand up and say that that is just not entirely true. I mean, there is certainly injustice and violence and poverty and gross inequity in our world. But you know, here's the thing from virtually every perspective, human rights, health care, economic stability, you name it, there has never been a time in history when humanity's wellness and well-being has been closer in hand. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how many of you are New York Times readers, but if you are, you may have noticed that just uh, earlier this month, they did a whole story on the Millennium Development Goals, which were put into place 15 years ago to draw people out of poverty. Uh, and uh, one of the things that they referenced was that one of the targets was to cut in half the share of the world's, po- uh, world's population living in extreme poverty by this year, 2015. And uh, the actual decline, it turns out, was far steeper. Back in 1999, when the goals were established, 47 people living in the, 47% of the people living in the developing world were living in extreme poverty. Today, 14% rank as extremely poor. Now we've got to work on that 14% and moving all of those folks to a better place, but we need to recognize that that's amazing. That's astoundingly good news. And the really good news is that the Church of Jesus Christ has been a part of that progress. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision of a global and beloved community I think is closer now than when he started preaching about it 50 years ago. Now, I want to just say that I know some of you are probably, and I do this from time to time, internally disagreeing at this moment. And for those of you, I want to say yes. Without question, there is hideous, senseless injustices that befall children of God in our world every single day. Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown and Freddie Gray and too many names of people that we don't know of including those dear members of Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, who were senselessly gunned down in Bible study. We know, as Christians, we know there is a whole lot of work we need to be doing. But, here's the thing even about those deaths. They are viewed today as grave injustices that must be addressed, and the world's spotlight is focused on those lives in ways they never have before. Offensive flags flown for generations, come down today because the will and witness of our country has changed a bit. And I want to suggest change for the better. And the truth is, that did not happen 50 years ago when we were fighting over civil rights. Didn't happen 150 years ago when our nation was tearing itself apart over slavery. And I'll tell you, It did not happen. The lives of of black men and women certainly were not a national or international concern 250 years ago when plenty of slaves were owned in the neighborhoods that surround this very chapel. In 1853, it's going a while back, but 1853, as the possibility of the Civil War and a confrontation over slavery was just on the horizon of our country, the Reverend Theodore Parker, just down the way a little bit in West Roxbury, preached a sermon, and this is what he said. And I know some of you know this. He said, Look at the facts of the world. You see a continual and progressive triumph of what is right. He went on to say, I I don't pretend to understand the moral universe. The, The arc is a long one, and my eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure, it, figure of it by the experience of my sight. But I can divine it by conscience. And from what I see, I am sure it bends toward justice. Pretty darn easy thing to say for an affluent white preacher in Boston. You know? Ten years later, when we were in the Civil War, I wonder if you would have said the same thing. But... In 1965, as the civil rights movement continued to advance in our country, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. began to use Reverend Parker's quote in his own sermons and speeches. He abbreviated a little bit when he would preach, and and you know this. He said, he would say with great frequency, The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Now, that was his belief. And then in 2010, Barack Obama, our first African-American president, had those words sewn into the rug of the Oval Office. From a sermon in 1853 in Roxbury to a rug in the Oval Office. I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. And, and, And I believe that it is evidence, evidence of the Jesus prayer we pray every single week, slowly but surely breaking into our lives and our world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done right here on earth as we hope and believe it is in heaven. And I don't know. I don't know if that's the beloved community. I don't know if that's representative of the peaceable kingdom. I I don't know if we just say that maybe that's heaven and earth drawing a bit closer to one another. But life is getting better. We have a long, we all know in this room, we've got a long, long, long way to go. There is still so much injustice that we need to not only speak out against, but act and address. But as Christians, this is key, as Christians, as good news people, we should also, we should also be the ones who point out the truly good work that's being done in the world, if for no other reason then the Church of Jesus Christ is part of that good work. I'm going to give you another example of of this progress, at least as I see it. Uh, Look at bullying today. I mean, one thing we can agree on, Elisha, however it turned out, Elisha was getting uh, bullied. Uh, In our little corner of the world, we have seen huge progress on bullying. Maybe some of you can uh, uh, remember this, but when I was growing up, bullies were just people you had to endure if the kid was a bully you just had to you had to deal with him in fact the instruction i'm going to bet many of us got because it was kind of the same was that if you encounter a bully the best thing to do is punch him in the mouth and hard because bullies tend to back down with they get punched in the face in front of other people you know When I was uh, in 8th grade and and I entered a new school when our family moved, I I entered a middle school that was terrorized by these uh, 30 or so boys, and and the instruction I received was clear. you got to learn to stick up for yourself. But here's the thing. Not everybody could do that. And if you were small, and if you were weak in my school, you spent a whole lot of time shoved in your locker or deposited in a garbage can. You know, and, and back then, we know school administrators didn't really do all that much about bullying. They, too, thought it was just one of those experiences you had to kind of manage through. It was part of the learning process, the maturation process. Today, at least in our corner of the world, which I mean I recognize is not representative of the entire world, but in our corner of the world, is different. I mean, yes, I realize, and looking kind of from the age of our congregation, I realize, uh, you know, most of us don't deal with online bullying, but that's a real issue. But I've got to tell you, things have changed uh, so much. When, when a kid tells an adult that they are being harassed today, the response isn't, oh, I guess you've got to deal with it. The response isn't, hey, let's go down into the basement and I'll show you how to defend yourself. No, swift action's taken. I mean, I'll tell you, this is, this is kind of a tangent Uh, i didn't know if i was going to share this this morning but you know in my school some of you know there are fights all the time my son who's turning 16 saw his first fight in school this year and he came home to me and he said dad i gotta be honest i saw it i didn't even know what was going on right away holy cow that's progress now i want to be clear this is not a sermon about bullying This isn't even a sermon about how black lives matter. It is a sermon about righteousness slowly but surely gaining traction in our world. And it's about Christian communities like ours. Standing up in what many people believe to be a wild and crazy and dangerous world. And speaking that truth. The created order. And all of us in it are bending ever closer to the will and desires of God. It is happening locally. It's happening globally. And the truth is, Dr. King saw it back in 1965 when he was put in jail. And if he believed it, if he preached it, maybe we should too. See, as Christians, part of our faith is about bearing witness, being witnesses to the gospel, being witnesses to the good news. And, and there's no question that from certain angles, our world can seem to be wild and crazy and dangerous. But I want to suggest, and you can test this around your own experience, but I want to suggest that, that even knowing all the bad news we know is actually really good news. You know, uh, uh, in generations past, we did not know. We did not know all of the grim happenings of the world. We were ignorant to so many of them. But today, anywhere in the world, if you have a cell phone with a camera on it, you can reveal the harmful and hurtful behavior you see. Now we know. Now we know so much more, which means we can act, which means when, when a police officer guns down an unarmed man in the back, we know because we see, which means we do have the opportunity to act. See, I I think knowing about all the bad news we know about is actually really great news. And I think that is the edge of some amazing progress that we can act on. See, I think if if we're willing, at least for a moment, to look underneath the headlines, I think we will see that God's world is still a place of burgeoning love and beauty and caring. It's a world where God's purposes are slowly but surely working themselves out. And the great news is that we are part of what God is doing. And today, a significant part of this beloved community's work is standing up and speaking that truth. I mean, it's good news people, we need to point out the good news and the good work that is being done around the globe. We need to highlight the glorious kingdom achievements that are happening in our world every single day. Let the news agencies focus on the bad news. We need them to do that. We need them to do that for us. But for our part, for our part as Christians, let us never cease to proclaim the good news that we know to be true. Good will overcome evil. Love will overcome hate. Life will overcome death. And our beloved community remains undaunted and unbowed in this wonderfully wild and sometimes crazy world. And I think that's reason to give thanks to God. Will you pray with me? Lord God, uh, most of us have been up early enough this morning to open the paper, to turn on the news, And we know what the highlights are. We know what the headlines are. And it's jarring. And we thank you that today we have people who scour the globe looking in all the corners of our world seeking out injustice so we can be aware of it, which means, Lord, today, like no other day before, we can act to address those situations. And I pray that not only Christian communities, not only faith communities around the world, but all people around the world rise up to combat Injustice so that your beloved community can be represented well in our world. So, Lord God, we never stop speaking out and addressing, but let us also be mindful that there are millions upon millions, billions of good people, your children, working for your glory each and every day, and we don't want those good stories, those gospel stories, to be obscured. So help us not just to look at the headlines, but to look deeply, to see your goodness at work in the world. And Lord God, in the midst of all the blare of bad news, give us as Christians the courage to share our good news, your good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
4: each week we gather here to pause, grow still, and hold in prayer the needs and joys and concerns of the world and of our hearts. Please embody a manner of prayer that speaks to your tradition and practice by sitting, standing, or coming forward to kneel here at the, off, at the uh, rail as the choir leads us in singing Lead Me, Lord. As we move through the prayers of the people, I will end each intention with the words, Holy One, in your mercy, you are invited to respond. Hear our prayer. In the dailiness of living, the mundane and routine rhythms of our lives, we come bearing the yearnings and needs, the sorrows and questions of our hearts, For those seasons of liminality, the times of not knowing, the long hours of waiting. In the moments of boredom or doubt, remain steadfast with us. Holy One, in your mercy, hear our prayer. When daily life is dismantled by the trauma of murder and the senselessness of violence and injustice, for lives lost in Lafayette, Chattanooga, and Hempstead, Holy One, in your mercy, hear our prayer. When daily life is a constant source of fear and pain, as souls afraid to go home to abuse tangled in words of love, for those enduring the scourge of bullying and shaming, for souls rejected and turned out, betrayed and ridiculed, and for we who carry the weight of refusing to forgive others and our own selves or accept such forgiveness, Holy One, in your mercy, hear our prayer. When daily life holds the potential for opening boundaries and burgeoning transitions, mingled with concerns of unknowing in what may come, for our brothers and sisters in Iran, Cuba, Palestine and Israel, Greece, Turkey, Syria, and Nigeria. Holy One, in your mercy, hear our prayer. When daily life is wrapped in diagnoses and treatments, For embodied souls awaiting test results, folk moving through rehabilitation, those dealing with the scourge of addiction, for family and loved ones experiencing sheer helplessness, and for sisters and brothers who are held in the care of hospice, and those who love them who stand at bedsides and later at gravesides. Holy One, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And when daily life brings a week of respite and calm, for sisters and brothers living in seasons of harmony and contentment, Who love and know themselves to be loved, who move through the rhythms of each day, touching lives for the better. Holy One, for them in your mercy, hear our prayer. And in the concerns and joys of our own hearts, that we lift. With the words Jesus taught us, we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is the kingdom and the power and the glory for
0: peace of the Lord be always with you. We welcome you once again here to the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. Following the service today, those who would like or and especially families with children are invited to come down to Copley Square where the Handel and Haydn Society will be performing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony beginning about twelve thirty this afternoon. You're invited to meet me in the Narthex following the service to head down or to join us there. Our National Summer Preacher Series continues next Sunday as Dean Hill will be back with us uh, for one Sunday and then away again for a couple more. Next Sunday is a Communion Sunday and we will have our monthly potluck luncheon to follow. We hope to see you there. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on O Come, Everyone That Thirsteth from Elijah by Felix Mendelssohn. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
3: Loving God, giver of light and life, receive these gifts and offerings lifted up here today. Bless them so that they may be used to serve your creation and inspire us that we may serve others with kindness and compassion. All these things we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
1: The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with kindness and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.